Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When Arsenal knocks on the door of players, it's a different knock than other clubs. Clubs, clubs, clubs. The Different Knock, an Arsenal podcast. Welcome back to all-new three-part drama, How to Survive the Apocalypse, by Cedric Suarez. And Arsenal Podcast, well, Alexander Moneypenny and my very good friends. Bradley Adams. And president of Audacity Club. <laughs> Audacity. <laughs> president of Audacity Club, George V. AFC. How you doing, boys? Both yeah. on your phones. Get off it. Look at you, millennial. <laughs> I'm trying to get fucking Gen stats X, up is. for you, Alex. Fight me. In your own time. This is TDK time, baby. <laughs> TDK time. Uh, <laughs> uh, how are you both? Well, Good. not too Good. bad. It's actually not too hot here, but as as the lovely YouTube members will complain about, the chest hair's still out. Yeah, so so can we address the chest hair complaints? If you don't watch on YouTube, there's been some there's been <laughs> a lot just, of comments about Brad's chest hair. They're just uncomfortable that they're sexually attracted to a man. That's all it is. That must be it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um before we continue, I do just want to plug something very quickly. So um on the different knock, uh you can get it on the memberships, so you can get it on the Patreon as well. Uh, you can also sign up for free and then cancel. So, like, you can watch this for free, everyone. Um, so, uh, we did an episode with John Harrison yesterday on goalkeeping, and John Harrison is a, a, a genius. He told me, <laughs> so he, he was saying, like, the reason he got into goalkeeping analysis and goalkeeper XG and all that sort of stuff is he was doing a um, he was doing a degree, and then he did it at Cambridge, then he did a PhD in astrophysics, and then he went, yeah, and then in my spare time, and I was like, I'm going to stop you there. <laughs> what spare time? <laughs> as a PhD student at Cambridge. And then he went, uh, yeah, we did this whole like 1v1 thing and I like did the analysis on it all in his own spare time. They got picked up by goalkeeper XG. It's such a cool story. But anyway, we talked about Ramsdale and his 1v1 capacity and stuff. I learned so much. It's on there. It's like a goalkeeping masterclass. So go give that a watch uh, if you're interested in that. There's an audio uh, version available as well. Um, So yeah, just wanted to plug that. Um, And secondly, boys, just had someone... In my uh, in my ex replies, saying that Bakayo Saka has been awful, awful, as in for England in the last couple of games or for f- for Arsenal. Oh, uh, grow up! 
<laughs> that I, I listen, listen. I respect the person on an individual level. Everyone has their right to. I opinion. don't. How? If you're that, st- if you're that stupid, you deserve no respect. <laughs> but I will just try and find his reply. It was essentially he said. Uh, I I was essentially saying that I think Fabio Vieira has earned a right to start against Everton, which we'll come to in a second. And he said, "What about Saka?" Do we not hold the same standards for all of our players? Saka has been awful the past few games. And I'm like... Wait, I'm sorry. How, can, how has he been awful? He's had three goals and assists. He's had a Young Player of the Year win. He's had a Ballon d'Or nomination. And I appreciate those are slightly historical. But if this is awful, like... What's his actual level? I can't find the graphic, but I saw it... Um a few days ago it's on twitter i'm seeing if i can find it now that ba- it's about like how um how creative are our players the conversation was around martin Erdegaard and the fact that he shoots more than he kind of takes that final pass he's more of a final shot action type player than a final pass action type player and it had like the creative numbers for all of our team right and if if like this is the axis martin Erdegaard's like down here and there's lots of players like down here and kai havertz is surprisingly like up here but kai osaka's like fucking up here like it's get as arsenal fans i know that all we used to be happy about was the transfer window and the new signings fc but stop it with your shiny new toy syndrome just because he's not scored in, we've played four Premier League game. What are we doing? He's also got he's got three goals and assists. I don't know what more you want. Like, Fucking it's hell. so bizarre. I think that's a normal research. George, what like what is it? Like, is it shiny new toy? Is it because I like I'm not just calling out this dude, like I'm sure he's a nice guy. But like I just find this this whole thing like I don't if there's one player that you can't go after, surely it's Saka. Or are we just are we protecting our Hayland boy? I know I, I don't think it's protection. I made a post about this on Twitter because I thought that the discourse was ridiculous. Like when you look at his numbers, he leads the team in every single metric. We've talked about this in the attacking, you know, sequences that, you know, Optus kind of recorded in terms of total passes, shots and chances created. The guy's a phenom. He leads in every single metric. He does so on uh, on an equivalent level in each area of the pitch. It's not one area of the pitch that he's excelling in. He's excelling in all phases. Then when you combine the production of three goals and assists in four games, I'm sorry, that's productive to me. Um, and broadly speaking, I do think that the degree of his misses have painted a picture of what he's not. So what do I mean by that? Like the guilt-edged open goal misses have meant people think he's poor, but every other part of the game he's been phenomenal in. Like I really just don't see this insistence on saying it and not even just creatively, but look at his his defensive numbers, his recovery tackles, being pushed wide and maintaining this level of creative hub is insane. It's incredible. And so I think there's a bit of that. This isn't, isn't necessarily where I wanted this to go, but I think it's naturally heading in this direction. I think sometimes when we feel things aren't going well, which, you know, I have issues with the team at the minute, but ultimately we are three wins from four. Like, you know, and we're... we're should be four wins draw, from four. Should be four wins from four. We're looking at, you know, the same uh, uh, XG difference as City uh, versus... I saw a graph earlier from the Athletic. We're in the same sort of ball camp as, as, as City. We're not miles off it. I think what happens is sometimes everything comes up for debate in those sorts of... It's like, for example, you you'd like we all remember the awful times under... Like, you know, Brad, like early doors, different knock, like those awful, like, you know, 
Demari Gray last minute winner against Everton or like creating point two seven xG from seventy five crosses into the box. <laughs> yeah, all that, from the that, left hand exactly, side. Yeah. <laughs> that that game, that three 0 against Villa in lockdown football, like we all remember that. I get that, and sometimes I felt at the time that ev- everything comes up for debate. It's like we need to get rid of this player, that player, this player. I'm like, okay, I, I appreciate things are going wrong, but we have to try and compartmentalize. And in this case, when such a small margin's going wrong, we're still going. Well, everything's up for debate, including Bukayo Saka. And I'm like, that is crazy. There's but- one. There's one parable I'd like to, and this this might catch me some heat from the two of you on the podcast, right? In my opinion. If the Ballon d'Or was an award done for the best player... Is this in... a parable from the Bible, yeah? Oh, well, I mean, parable's <laughs> the wrong word, but it was the first word that came to my head. Um, Lionel Messi, since winning his first Ballon d'Or, should have won every single Ballon d'Or since. If the award is to do with who is the best player in the world in those current seasons. If you look at his numbers, no one was eclipsing him, right? But he became a victim of his own high standards and success. In that season where he scored something like, or that year where he scored like 92 goals in a calendar year, it like you become a victim of your own success, of the standards that you set yourself. And if you ever perform below those standards, you see players like Modric win a Ballon d'Or, who, with respect, won it because of his country's decent performance in an eight-game tournament when Messi performed incredibly well over an entire 12 months. And it's it's this, like, it, Ronaldo should have a single Ballon d'Or, the one that he won at Man United. He never eclipsed Messi in terms of ability or in terms of numbers whilst he was in Spain. Like, there, there's, you there's could, not... You can, I, think he, I think that season where Madrid got 100 points, but apart from that... Maybe, yeah, apart that. from those... But then, but then it becomes about, okay, is that due to the team's success or is that due to the player's success? And, the, and this is what I mean by, like, you have to stop judging players by this incredibly high standard that they, that they might be able to set every other season or occasionally in their career. But if, if Saka performs at three goals in every four games... What what is that over a season, three and four, three GA? So yeah, that's you end up with. Basically... You end up with twenty nine goals and assists over a course of a season. Yeah. yeah, and if that's awful, then then what? and I appreciate the point around like the all round play and contribution, but that's sorry, better than Eden Hazard ever. I'm pretty sure ever achieved in his Premier League career. I don't think he ever touched thirty goals and assists in the league. Yeah, like you make a it, that's back. yeah, that's 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 that that is Ronaldo numbers. That is Sanchez numbers. That is like crazy, crazy numbers to achieve in the Premier League. Stop viewing it through. Yeah, <laughs> stop viewing it through the idea that unless this person is, and we have we have been spoiled as a generation with Messi, with Ronaldo, with you know even with Neymar and Hazard and and. Sanchez and all of these phenomenal players like the kid's 22 and he's performing at a level that if a player performed that when they were 28 29 and 30 they'd be written into folklore as probably one of the best players of a club's history yeah just yeah I, I, I do George I'll let you just come back before we move on I just want to say obviously this is one person's opinion I'm not saying everyone thinks this but I do th- I do think it's interesting that that it's come up because it's just like it's and I've seen a few you know yes I've seen this one person that's spot this but I've seen it a number of times people saying, well, Saka needs this, that, and the other. And I'm just, yeah. But yeah, your, your final thoughts on that before we move on, George. I, I was talking about you with this earlier. You know, I just think that Twitter's become such a, um, you know, a contrarian debate space. X. Uh, oh, sorry, X. Oh, gosh, here we go. Um, 
But uh, I, I think international break brings these upon ourselves too. Like we sit there without football, we analyze every aspect of the team because we're not seeing them. Um, I do think that there's definitely some validity to Saka starting slowly generally in seasons. Like I've seen that throughout his career, so I can appreciate that perspective. But I just think that some of the conclusions about him, A, um, being quite poor or those descriptions and even for his standards like I really struggle to understand those perspectives when you've got a guy that's leading metrics for your team that's consistently put the team first in terms of even his own stardom and by the way I will say I don't think that we've even given him the superstar treatment that he's ever deserved like I really think that this team needs to be built for him and I think that we've used him to get us out of binds and he's constantly the one to sacrifice his individual game because he's so good, because he's such a universal kind of Swiss army knife to, to problems. And I just think that we we do not give him the support that he needs. And that also goes for Martinelli, at least this season. But especially Saka, I feel he's the first one to move. And, you know, I think it was very telling, by the way, that in the last part of the United game, when Jesus came on, he moved to the left very consistently. And, you know, I like that. That's him taking personal responsibility where he's like, listen, I'm, I'm the MVP of this team or I'm an elite player in this team. I'm not touching the ball. I want it. And he's taking it upon himself to create those solutions. So I'm excited for that. But on the whole discourse, yeah, I think it's odd to critique your best I don't think this like conversation that. happens because he's been doubled up on nearly every game. I don't think this conversation happens if we've been able to kind of um, exploit the central spaces that have been left due to the fact that teams are doubling up on our wingers. Yeah, I think it's because we look a certain way. I think I think also it doesn't happen not on the internet. <laughs> like I think match-going fans don't think this at all. Um, so let's move on to the uh, international break. Um, there was a couple of interesting performances by Brad. Um, there was uh, Tommy Asu's performance. Obviously, there was a kind of comp going around uh, that people saw. I'm sure everyone saw uh, of Tommy Asu's performance at left centre-back. We also saw Martin Erdegaard. Um, George, I'll start with you. Uh, it's always difficult to take too much from these international performances. What have you taken from this round, if anything? Is there a particular play stood out to you? If there's a, if there a particular moment that stood out to you? I mean, I got um, a lot of my little galaxy brain theories here with some little tidbits, you know, in terms of Tommy Asu central center back performance. Um, one thing that I'm not a huge fan of, but one thing that we've seen in a lot of the fan discourses seen is Zinchenko at left central midfield playing well, scoring a goal. We've seen, um, you know, Martin Odegaard in terms of his performance. Maybe we can have a discussion about his transition as a player in terms of a lot of people thinking, and me included, that, you know, his skill set is more built towards a controller, all-face central midfielder. But he's been a final action shoot-on-sight uh, midfielder all season and for most parts of last season as well. So the transition that he's had to make as a profile. And then, of course, in this game, again, arriving in the left half space, shooting across his body for a beautiful goal. Um, Kai Havertz with an excellent assist in the right half space. Um, and, uh, you know, so we've, we've seen players that have come in and, and made impacts for their team. Gabriel, I think, as a center back was brilliant for Brazil, certainly in the first game. Um, I don't know about the second game, but definitely had a really good, strong cameo from Martinelli, even in the second game as well. So Arsenal players are doing well. And it wasn't just, I think Ramsdale as well played pretty well for his um his game. And I mean, we could start to talk about that discussion again, if people want it with the distribution, because that came out to play um, again, where uh, a return to his ability um, came to the forefront. Uh, so there's a lot of good things in the sense that I think 
A, Arsenal are a team of internationals again, but also they're playing well within those internationals. So it's not just they're making up part of the squad. They're contributing actively to significant output and becoming leaders on their team. I think I saw a brilliant um, article just recently talking about Tomiyasu and how Japan view him as the leader of their defense. And um, it goes beyond just the central center back shouts. It's more so that he's taking more responsibility in the team. And look, you love to see it because these boys are becoming men and they are boys. Like, let's have it right. Like the average age is still 23 and change in the squad. They are boys. And the fact that, you know, you're getting some more of these interviews about leadership and even Martin Odegaard saw an interview with him very recently, um, kind of cocky. And I liked it. It was, it was more in the sense, you know, of, you know, kind of just claiming, listen, you know, everybody else was worried about me scoring, but I wasn't. And I'm like, Okay, Martin. I like that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Big fun. I'm like, listen, uh, objectively, I hold my hands up. There are times I want you to chill on the shots, but I'm not going to sit here and complain when one of my biggest complaints has been release a final action a and he's doing it and he's doing it with arrogance. So I'm like, yeah, uh, I, I think that's very important for these kids starting to believe their hype and becoming men. So all in all, good international break. Mm. Brad, what stood out for you? Um, on the Tomiyasu chat i think it would have been very interesting had we not lost timber as to where his minutes would have come this season and i wonder whether timber was brought in to cover left back and invert from the left and cover right back and possibly invert from the right and we would have only seen tommy asso at center back possibly because i i do think that we've we've massively underrated uh his ability on in 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 those zones um, I didn't get to watch the the England game against Scotland, so I don't have a lot to say about kind of Ramsdale and and his performance. Uh, but I think that if you if you look at the performance from Zinchenko in the in in that kind of left centre mid role, that's that's definitely something we could explore. But the one thing that I will say is. Zinchenko's always in the midfield. It's basically where he plays anyway. It's just yeah. where he plays <laughs> yeah. anyway. So yeah. so seeing loads of Arsenal fans on Twitter go, why can't we play Zinchenko in the midfield just proves that Arsenal fans on Twitter don't watch Arsenal because that's just where he fucking is anyway. Like, And I think doing this podcast, especially I've learned a lot about divorcing the idea of, um, oh, a left back stays at left back and blah, 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 blah. And... Um, yeah, it, it, it's been nice to kind of watch watch these players kind of go away and, and do slightly different things. But I don't really pay a lot of stock in internationals. Uh, I kind of just hope our players don't get injured. And they come back fit. The only thing I'll say about England is I think it's um, I'm, I'm really disappointed so far for Eddie Nketiah. And I have no clue what Gareth Southgate learns from giving 31 year old Callum Wilson seven minutes off the bench rather than playing Eddie Nketiah and especially because Kane has whilst he's had a good few seasons in terms of injury um, that will catch up with him eventually when you look at the type of injuries that he's had so England finding a second option at centre forward is probably smart and not giving Eddie a run in friendlies even 15 minutes when you've called him up when he could have you know switched allegiances to Ghana I, I don't see I don't see the thinking, but again, I don't see the thinking in the man 24-7. So, I mean, it's it's kind of just horses of courses at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think the Southgate thing, uh, Yeah, I've said before, I, I see him more as a kind of a, a statesman. He's a vibes man. 
He knows nothing about tactics and football. He, his best season was, what, 10th in the championship with Middlesbrough? Like... Yeah, I, I don't think a top six club would come would come after him. Maybe even I don't top think 10 a, club, I don't think but, a Premier League club would come after him. Genuinely, but I, th- I think he what the the work he's done on the culture is kind of you know is 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 great in many ways and 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 has kind sort of brought an England culture together. But what I will say and what I do feel is that that can happen from a different perspective. Now I think maybe the manager needed to do that for a little while for like four or five years. Now we've got through that and it feels like we have got more of a culture around England now and it feels a bit more together. I think that can then move upstairs and to allow for a more, just a fresh tactical ideas and a fresh tactical mind. Someone who, you know, who is it? Carlo Ancelotti is going to be the Brazil coach. Like he could 100% get a top 10 job in the, in the UK. So I think we've got to start start thinking about it that way. Um, let's move forward to the Everton game this weekend. Uh, George, I'll come back to you first. There's a few different ways of thinking about this. We could obviously think about it in terms of the um, the the physicality of that midfield of Anana and Decore and Gay, who's likely to be there in that sort of um, mid block. Uh, and we could think about Kai Havertz. We could think about the likelihood that they're going to be sat off and we're going to have possession possibly and then think about it from a Fabio Vieira perspective you can think about it in terms of getting the wingers inside and trying to get Smith Rowe on you know whatever to overlap for Saka you can think about this a number of different ways where do you fall down in terms of the lineup and specifically the midfield because I think that's probably the big sticking point I mean it's it's difficult with with the entire midfield situation because I feel there is a certain player that's deserved to play there's also other players, not just Fabio Vieira in terms of Trossard, who I believe has deserved to play. And if you're actually purely talking about profile here and not earning to play, if you wanted to give somebody else a go that has not had a chance to, Trossard deserves it more than Fabio Vieira, if we're really being fair. And also, by the way, carries a little bit more of a complete skill set in terms of the pressing, in terms of the out-of-possession quality that you might be losing by replacing Havertz and Vieira. The one issue that I've got is that we're talking about a team that are very big in Sean Dice. It's not just duels. It's not just meeting markers. It's the fact that they've carried a certain physical frame that we've also seen Trissard, again, through no fault of his own. But how did that fare against Fulham, who have a big pair of center backs there in terms of his false nine and his duels, right? And, and it's not a fault of, you know, Trissard's ability. It's just, why are you putting him in that situation to compete with such big uh, people. The same could be said for Fabio Vieira, by the way, who um, I obviously believe quite a bit in. I've talked about how he, I think the misconception on his duels is quite big, but generally speaking, he's not a player that I'm going to be sticking in the middle of the park against Takure, Onana, and, um, you know, Gay. It's just, it's just not a game where he's going to thrive. And, you know, ideally we have Partey for this type of match. This is the type of match that you want him for, but if you don't, you pick the eight that has the best out of possession qualities for me so that you don't so at least you have an out ball the one thing i will say there is more of a certain um game state of a low block that you're going to be expecting with this type of midfield like i don't think that everton are going to be expansive but again go back to last february what was the game plan it was to hit arsenal hard early and hard on a press now i'm going through the team and i'm wondering trissard can take care of his own but Vieira hard against a press with big physical monsters going to struggle like you want him in space you want him being able to provide a final ball um the other ones in terms of Kai Havertz look the one thing that you can say about Kai Havertz is in possession you're going to be frustrated but the one thing you can't say is when he is pressed and when he is hit 
He doesn't shirk from challenges, and he does enter them with quite regularity, and he does win a decent amount of them. So that's my only fear. I, thi- I think I I do worry about that, but I, I wonder whether there's a volume question to be had about like the volume of the press that Everton are going to be able to put us under. I, I can't see them, A, sustaining it, because I think we have the quality to, to play around it, and B, doing anything other really, is that, especially as the game goes on, than sitting further and further back if we can manage to control the game. I think plan A for me would be to control the football, right? And Brad, I'll come to you on this. Like When we go to Goodison, it has historically been a tricky game. But I think we now have the physical, technical and tactical capacity to control the game at Goodison Park, no matter, sort of, no matter who plays, in my opinion. So then I'd rather, because we can control the game, look at it from a much more technical perspective and go right what then then what we're going to be what what questions are we going to be being asked and the questions in my opinion are going to be being asked more with 70 75 percent possession which i i hope we can aim for is those ones that fabio Vieira can answer a bit better than let's say a kai habits but to be honest it's it's sort of not about the individuals particularly you can pick a kai habits and still play in a different way kai habits can be asked to do different things it's more about what are we going to be asked to be doing in this game and i don't see everton being able to control the narrative, particularly beyond, let's say, half an hour where they try and come at us, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I think Everton so far have been unlucky. at the, And it, it's borne out kind of statistically that um, that they, they have been unlucky at the start of this season. They battered Fulham and managed to lose that game. They were then massively battered by by Villa, which has mas- kind of really skewed them statistically. But squad basis and kind of statistics basis, that they, should, they shouldn't be in the situation they're in. They should have at least come away. I mean, they're performing, they've, they've created 7.29 XG and they have scored two goals. Like they're massively underperforming their numbers right now. They're the biggest underperformers in their league. And they've only conceded 6.77 and they've conceded four, five, six, eight goals. So they're they're kind of underperforming at both metrics at the moment. And unfortunately, that is going to break at some point. A team rarely underperforms across an entire season. But if, if, if we think about what they're good at and what they do, and we think about what Arsenal are good at and what we do... We definitely have the option that as long as we can keep the ball away from them, I don't see them creating that many problems against us, especially when you consider the creation that they've managed has been against Fulham, against Sheffield United, and then little bits against Wolves and against Everton uh, and against uh, Villa. Sorry. So I this isn't a team that worries me in terms of how they're going to hurt us. I think this is a team that worries me of we're going to face the dice wall. We're going to face that block and it's always compact and well put together. And we need players who can play through it rather than for me, physical monsters. I think Kai Havertz is a useful weapon at certain points in this game, but I don't know whether that useful weapon is going to be as useful as a Fabio Vieira with kind of that lockpick-esque ball and touch that we might need at certain points than Gabby Jesus at at centre-forward rather than Trossard, who will cause absolute chaos, which will massively destabilise that block. So I I would run with Vieira in the midfield. And I think he has earned it, especially with his cameos in the last few games. But I think you... 
the risk then is you could affect Havertz's confidence and that's already low. But um, so it's it's kind of a 50-50 for me. I think you get you get a weapon with either player. It's just about kind of what weapon you want. I think the one that's going to be most suited for the larger periods of this game is Fabio Vieira and bringing Havertz on at, say, 50, 55 minutes to kind of use him as a, as a long ball option and as a, a second ball option uh, is it would be better tactically. But there's there's kind of a holistic view that we need to take as well of do we stick with Kai Havertz against a team that we think we're likely to beat anyway, because on paper, they aren't near us in terms of chance creation, in terms of most metrics. So what what do we do there? I, we, you know, Goodison has become a bit of a bogey ground for us. We've got no wins in the last five years there, two draws and three losses. I need us to break that kind of voodoo because it's just becoming like St. Mary's again. And as we've seen before on teams, mental blocks can can easily just spring. And I think what would be a good kind of barrier break for this team early on in the season is changing that record. So uh, even if it's a scrappy 2-1, just just breaking that, that duck, breaking that kind of voodoo and, and getting a win at Goodison, no matter the fact that Everton are you know, a bit pony at the moment and, and could easily be in the bottom, you know, could go down, though I think statistics have them placed maybe around kind of the 15th mark. It's it's a big opportunity for us to do something. And I'm I'm hoping that the stats don't break against us and they still underperform yeah. and we overperform. Yeah. I hope so. I mean, <laughs> they might have a new owner bounce by that point. But yeah, the, um, the yeah, I... I I sense a narrative forming of like, you can't play that player in this game. You can't play this player in this game. I sort of think there's there's just different. We have to ask, in my opinion, as I mentioned, what questions are we being asked? Which players can answer them? And they can answer them in different ways. It doesn't have to be, you know, for example, if we play Kai Havertz, why not play him at centre forward? You know, that, that you could argue that's a way of, you know, can he be the, the target to hit and, and Jesus buzzing around him or, or whatever? You know, I'm not s- suggesting that there's one answer I don't think and and I don't know I, I think personally I sit on the on the Vieira side obviously Georgie sit on the on the uh, Habit side and, and Brad's with uh, the Vieira thing but again there's there's different ways of looking that as well you could I think you could look at the midfield in a, in a totally different way you could try and pack the midfield and say you know let's try and play through them centrally so you know there's, I think there's different ways but I, I, I think it just currently in the method that we're using you could even use Declan Rice further forward which which could be is an option so the, th- the thing is right um, I, when we talk about balance being an issue just generally, there's many iterations that can work. I, I don't think that there's one player for one game and, and, and you know that you should be black and white about really any iteration. I'm very open to kind of any combination of players. I just wonder, like, looking back at last February, what was the demand? And, and I think I'm trying to pick players that I think are up for a pressing fight and willing to be hit and willing to carry on with the contact and not be pushed out of a game. Like what was one of, although Fabio Vieira has been, for example, a lot more aggressive in a lot of his actions and possession, what was one of the things that really put him out of games last season, this season, and pretty much his entire career, and it was being hit. And like, it's understandable because it's frame. But I think even, I think Trossard is more resilient to those kind of contacts in general. Like he deals with it quite well and he rides contact quite well. So if you were really willing to see maybe a different aspect in that eight role, I'd be more willing to see him. 
but I do worry about being hit. I think Everton are going to come to kick us off the pitch. I think that they're going to come to squeeze space. And I think that although it's a low block, I think they're going to be very high pressing. And even when they did it kind of last February, it wasn't a high press in the sense that you go into their first third. They're going to have a mid block and they're just going to deny space in the center of the pitch. And they're going to be really diligent about hitting our wingers hard and early. So I'm, I'm just worried about that. And, um, but look, if, if we play Fabio Vera, I'm not going to be upset. I get to say, yay, my boy's playing. <laughs> and I get to be fuming about my agenda being in tatters. Yeah, well, exactly. Rubbish. Oh. What uh, does that teach you, Alex? About your, about uh, your agendas? Have more agendas, I think. I think that's what that says. I think that says have as many agendas as possible as you can. And Saka is awful. Uh, Brad, we'll see you. After this. Can't get it out, boys. Welcome back, and thank you to those of you who are in the Different Knock Members Club. If you'd like ad-free versions of this show, as well as the Patreon-exclusive The Instant Reaction Podcast, you become a TDK member at patreon.com forward slash diffknock. You also get access to the exclusive Discord server, the Tactics Corner, the Rewatch, and bonus video content, all for just £3 a month. Or there's a seven-day free trial. All video content is available through YouTube as well. And for one time support, head to buymeacoffee.com forward slash You can buy me a coffee. Lovely. The links are in the show description. Right. Questions, boys. Has anyone got one or shall I pick one first? Oh, we had a question from Tom underscore Watson who said, we had Mike Gate with George, <laughs> but is Brad ever getting that mic back? And if not, can he be forced to get a new one? Currently, Audacity is still running. It's still working. So I think we're all good. You should be hearing my voice crystal clear, my friend. Good stuff. Before we get back to more current, maybe, affairs, we got a question from Leeds Gunner. Not Lee Gunner, Leeds Gunner. And Leeds Gunner has said, if Arteta finishes his managerial career at Arsenal with a Champions League, does he eclipse Wenger's legacy because he did what Wenger couldn't do? No. No. Because I think you have to look at between 2008 and 2018, Arsenal made a profit of £30 million on players. As in across 10 years, bearing in mind the fees that we were being spending, you know, and the fact and, and the issues with the stadium. I don't think there's a single manager out there that could have achieved what Arsene Wenger achieved. Keeping if, if Arsenal fell out of the Champions League during those years and were unable to get back in, there's there's a there's a real timeline that financially really has a big, big impact on this club. And we could be much, much closer to being a bottom of the Premier League team rather than a, you know, top of the Premier League team. Look, you, as much as I, I would respect what Arteta has done, and I think that he would have done a magnificent job if he wins a Premier League and he wins a Champions League, of course, and that would write him into the folklore of the club forever. But I think that it is going to take somebody. I don't think I don't think what Arsene Wenger did for Arsenal could ever be repeated. I really don't. And that's that's even taking away his achievements of, of winning an Invincibles Premier League and winning three Premier Leagues and, and winning eight FA Cups and all of these things. We spent no money. If you look at the, um, the the top, I think it's the we're not in the top twenty clubs. I think for spend, or it might be fifteen for spend in the twenty first century. 
Yeah, I mean, he obviously did an incredible job post Emirates. I, I think it's more—it's more the legacy, really, isn't it? Like you know, the the legacy of what he's the Emirates, the legacy of the the ethos of the club, the legacy of the values. Like I think that always goes beyond for me. Arsene Ven- yeah, Arsene Wenger's success is what bought the Emirates. His sacrifice of personal success is what bought the Emirates. Because if we'd have stayed at Highbury and we'd have continued to be able to fight as a as a force on the financial front, I have no doubt that he would be much more decorated in terms of medals and titles and trophies. And he probably would have left and gone to Real Madrid in 2007 or whenever it was, you know, having won more. But he sacrificed his own personal success to grow the club. That That is something that I don't think, and especially to the, to the success level that he did do it, I don't think that's something that could ever be repeated. That's like once in 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 a history type moment, like Ferguson winning thirteen Premier Leagues. I don't think that will happen again. Mm. And I'm not sure a modern manager has the opportunity to do that now. Like I think I think the Premier League has come so far that this kind of not you can't almost can't be a, not necessarily you can't be a trailblazer. You can do certain things, but you can't. Everyone's a smart club now. Do you know what I mean? It's not. It's not. There's not. There's one more or two money geniuses, now as well. And there's more money. Yeah. Look, I, I think there's a lot to to the Wenger legacy, and I am biased. I'm going to lay it out right now because he's my footballing icon and my mentor, and I just don't think that there's ever harsh on me. Yeah. <laughs> there's never going to be anybody that I think I look up to more as a person to view football. So that's harsh on Brad. Yeah. <laughs> you know that's that's like the praise I'm going to start with in this, but objectively let's let's think about what Wenger did and he did so much more than this but achievement wise he has to do something in football Mikel that is that's never been done before and that is a legacy I don't think winning the Champions League is that it's definitely a trophy that Wenger has never won but you know the Invincibles is something that you know Arsenal have never done and of course that a lot of football hasn't done and so while it would be good for Arsenal it doesn't carry the same gravitas to the greater footballing community it just boosts the inner arsenal debates about you know uh who's bigger <laughs> by just winning all of the trophies so i i don't think that he he would have to he would have to do something that would make a statement to the global footballing fraternity and win multiple trophies yeah. along the line and change the game in terms of fitness and nutrition in terms of yeah, how yeah. people are viewed and do the entire change the, ga- change the game in, in how it's played you yeah. know not only did yeah, he there's change no the, secrets the, anymore yeah no like, and change the identity of Arsenal as a whole, like recognizing Wenger ball. Like a lot of the reason that Arsenal are followed so dearly is the way we play football. And that feeling that we've generated over years of playing football the right way is a huge part and fabric of our club. Now, Mikel is doing these things. It's not that he's not doing these things. Well, people are yelling in their mics at me, but there was so much innovative capacity to what Wenger did in general that... I really think if you're going to be fair about it, Mikel can certainly reach the achievements that Wenger reached, but can he ever reach the same global impact? That's something that I'll always doubt. But again, that's personal bias, and I'm willing to put, admit that. Mm. Yeah, I just, I can't help but feel no modern manager, like, you can't, what, what are you going to revolutionize? Like, the data revolution is, you could argue has happened, maybe you could argue is happening either way, it's, hap- it's there's something there nutrition sports science i think there's going to be incremental increases I, I just can't see a massive i can't i don't see an opportunity and maybe this is you know before it happens obviously you never see it coming but i don't see an opportunity for a manager to revolutionize the game in a way that an arsene wenger did like i just can't, so to... so then sorry so then so then you can't 
compare them. I think you just have to look at... Maybe you could argue that Arteta has a harder job than Wenger. And maybe maybe one or two league titles is a bigger achievement. Like I think that's a decent argument to say because of the competition. You could, you could, oh, I, I, I don't could know. be convinced of that. United, United, like if you look at the way that they spent financially, it's comparable to City during those 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 but rivalry s- years. Fine, you, if you adjust for inflation, but it's not just United. To my point, you've got yeah. City, Liverpool, Chelsea, Brighton now. My Newcastle, my opposite like argument all... to that would be that Wenger couldn't spend any money. Wenger for years had kind of a shackle round his ankle. I think that was post the era that I'm talking about, though. I think post oh, yeah, yeah. 2006, I hear you. But I think before that, he was, you know, he was spending money on players. And if you adjust for inflation, he, you know, he never, he was never a massive spender. But I think the, the, the bigger thing for me is about the competition. Like, and this is another thing about like fan expectations. Like, we should be winning leagues and competing every single year. And I'm like, well, hang on a minute. Yes, maybe you should when there was three people who could realistically win the league. Now there's 12 <laughs> like calm down like you know this we've got to consider that the league has changed the Brad, one your question, final please. thing that i would say oh, on that is, is you have to also understand that arsene wenger was in charge of arsenal for about 16 and a half percent of arsenal's history of arsenal's yeah. entire yeah, yeah. history 16 and a half percent of arsenal's entire history had wenger at the helm like that's that's something that will never be replicated that number will get smaller as time goes on but that that portion will always be large. Um, my question is... Oh, and I've reached my time limit on X. Let's get that back open. My question is from at AFC underscore KJ. Who is James Hilson? And what about this Cedric fellow? Why would Arteta add these mystery men to our Champions League squad? I thought it'd just be a good opportunity to, to chat about, you know, the Champions League squad being announced. Obviously, the fact that Cedric... And I... I a likened to a cockroach could seemingly survive a nuclear blast and will be the last person standing at Arsenal when he's 46 years old and still on 75 grand a week. <laughs> yeah, um, he's finessed another six contracts. Fucking hell. Oh. Um, but yeah, James Hilson is, is you know, you have to register three goalkeepers in the in the Champions League. Arsenal's third choice keeper for the season. Um, that's all I really know. But uh, have you guys got any thoughts on the Champions League squads? Any any youngsters? Because we've obviously seen Lino Sosa included, but any admitted that you would have thought should have gone? Well, yeah, George, there was a thing about the the registration that you you brought up. It was a good point. Yeah, it's just um, Lino Sosa. The only reason he's being registered is because he's not allowed to be eligible for U twenty one status until December. So a lot of the people like Ruel Walters, Mario Cozier, Dewberry, they can be part of the B list of the Champions League because they're already old enough to be considered U twenty ones. And so it, it would be more of a case if you're kind of eighteen or younger, you would need to be registered as an adult or senior. Um, depending kind of on your birthday. So it's more of a technicality issue. Look, um, probably be upset that Miles Lewis-Skelly and Ethan Winnery can't really participate in that aspect. Um, They're just too young, or you would have to take up space. And I mean, I don't think they're ever going to take away Mohamed Elneny and, um, you know, Cedric Suarez, even though I would, um, for those two players to to have an option in there. Um, But I, I think generally with it, I'm happy with the inclusions, generally speaking. Uh, I'm annoyed at the two names that I've mentioned, uh, but that's just a reality until we get them to move on. You know what I mean? And I think by the end of this season, it's guaranteed three of those spots are open. And the one thing I do when I look at those Champions League spots are how do we improve and what spots are left next season? And like I said, three spots are going to be opened um, next season for it. So I'm already thinking, who can I replace within that Champions League squad that I think um, deserves a spot, but also feasibly can 
you know, can, can, can be considered an option, right? Because I don't want to fill it with youngsters. And I think you shouldn't have basically had the opportunity to make Lino Sousa a senior call up. Like, you know, it, it, it's kind of a case of we're, we are filling a spot and we need it because we don't know whether or not we might need Lino Sousa down the line. But then again, we also can redo this in January too. That's another thing. These squads aren't final. They're only final up until December. Yeah. And then you can redo them. You can them. replace three players. You can replace Ex three players in your squad. Ex exactly. Mm -hmm. So I, I'd imagine Timber would be replaced by, you know, Lino Sousa, for yeah. example. So I wanted to come on to that briefly before we get a question from you, George. Do we see Timber playing any role this season? Because yes. I think like it's not... It's not. It's really not something that people are considering right now. But especially in the running, I can I can see it happening. Like, how many well, times have we seen yeah. Kevin De Bruyne miraculously recover within about two days? This is the thing, isn't it? I, that's one of the reasons I wanted to ask this question. Is the conversation that I was really, really surprised to see Timber selected? He's not selected. Is he not? I thought he was. No, he's not. No. Oh well, then that just makes I think my people, point completely stupid. Well, he can come back in. He can come back in January. Oh, okay, okay. That might have been what you got confused about. But yeah, it, it, essentially, do you think he could be back by February? I March? don't know. It's an ACL, isn't it? Like it's a it's a big old injury. Could be. I mean, I, I think it depends what the situation is in terms of, um, in terms of where we are in the title race, in terms of where we are in the Champions League race. If we're going deep in both, then. And, and he's getting back to fitness. I could see him picking up a few minutes. But say, for example, we, we drop out of the Champions League to a respectable opponent in the, in the quarterfinals and all we've got left to play for is the league. I wouldn't see when we... If, if there are no other um, significant injuries, I wouldn't see why we'd rush him back to play significant minutes in the run-in when we could give him the rest of that season to recover and then the off-season to recover and have another full pre-season to get him back up to where he was at the start of this season. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, he I hear that. George, your thoughts? I, I don't, I don't know how I feel about it. I'll be, I'll be honest. Um, I mean, it's possible. Like, I don't, I don't think it's out of the question. We've, and also, he's a young guy. He seems seemingly has the right attitude. Like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, th I, th I think, I think, I think with Timber, like, I, I, I can, I can, I, my, what's the word? My optimism. The optimist in me is like. It's gonna happen, and I can, and I almost like immediately when it happened. I think part of my like protection mechanism was like, yeah, yeah, but he'll be back by March. It's actually fine. It's actually, if, actually, if anything, it's, it's it's a good time. We'll have a boost. Like it was just me trying to be positive. No, no, but, but like I think it's a hundred percent certain that he comes back this season. I can. Yeah, tell. yeah I think he will. Can, it's just whether he plays a significant role. Well, yeah, and but I I think he has to, mate, because like logically, just the timelines match up. Even okay, in the worst case scenario, he's back by the end of March. The end of March. In the absolute worst case, he's got a setback. There's issues with his rehab. He's back in April. I, I'm not sure that's worst case. I think worst case scenario would be like he's not back to the end of the season. I think I think March well, is a is a decent case scenario. No, well, I mean, in, given the injury, right? Like he's going to be back in six months, especially because it's only an ACL. That that's like the it's rehab six, timeline. Six two nine though is my point. Six two nine months. I like, and, and, and most professional footballers, I appreciate come back in six. But like, you just the worst case scenario is what I'm saying. Well, yeah, I mean, nine would happen if there was another injury, 
let's say, mm -hmm. like on the rehab, he's come back and he tears a hamstring or there's something like that. Like the actual rehab of the ACL is more of the six. The reason people do six to nine is because you're like, well, what happens if he comes back and he tears a hamstring, a grade two, or he does, he, he comes back and maybe the opposite ankle has a calf strain, which can happen, you know, when you're coming back from big injuries. But look, even in the nine scenario, I mean, that puts him in May. And I think that we will be able to see him because we're going to be in deep competitions by that point. The, the question is, do you see him come back to the same level? Those are totally different conversations. And so whether he comes back between March, April, May, even February, the time doesn't really matter to me about when. It's the degree of readiness that he comes back with. And I think that's the big question that a lot of people have. Are we writing off this season in general? Because even if he was to come back early, is he not the same player in terms of needing a little bit more rhythm, which is understandable. He's had a big injury, but does he come back the same way? Those are more interesting questions. I, I, I do think broadly, he's the type of individual that when you start to look at mentality as a big predictor for rehab success, and he's got all of the best mentality. So I just think I'm confident, call it optimistic. I think that we will see him again this season. And I predict that we actually see him at a very good level. And I just do it based on not just the player, but our record. Again, I made this point earlier, but Jordan Reese, in terms of our physio department, has had an excellent record of bringing people back to the same level or sharpness that they were pre-injury. And it goes beyond different injuries, by the way. Like, he's done it. Look, Partey's been injured, but he, when he comes back, he comes back fine. When you look at it, Tommy Asu has come back brilliantly. Saliba, from his back injury, has come back brilliantly. Gabriel Jesus, from his knee issues, has come back brilliantly twice now. So it's... I'm confident in the physio's team ability to get him there, um, but there's just too many unknowns in a rehab that you can't be black and white about it. Like you've got to accept mm. multiple possibilities. And I wonder whether, and George, I'll come to you for your question just in a second, so get it, get it prepped. I got it. Um, I just also wonder whether in terms of the way he plays, the sharpness of his actions, we might see, you know, if like, I'm not saying a midfielder, you know, there's, there's, there's different problems in, in, you know, wingers, maybe they lose a bit of pace or, you know, they've, they've, they struggle to ride contact or, or whatever. But like, I don't know, for example, like a goalkeeper, I feel like has more space on the pitch to come back from an injury, if that makes sense. Like they're not under contact. They're not like they're, they're going to be doing predictable actions mostly. Whereas like, I think there's, there's a lot more twisting and turning for certain players. And I think specifically with Timber, the way he plays, the sharpness of his actions, I worry that we're going to not see that level straight away. So yeah. Uh, George, your question. Yes. So this comes from, I guess this is a two-part question, but the Arsenal Bros podcast, when and how will Emil Smith-Rowe get any minutes? And Moheba, I butchered that. I'm so sorry. But Havertz and you Odegaard. Did. You really did. Havertz and Odegaard switching places and how would that work? The reason oh, I'm tying those together. Oh, we get it, George. <laughs> I'm tying You're those together. One question, George, not two. I'm tying those. No, it's it's because they're related. It's George, it's this. It's this Havertz Erdegaard. Just just go for it. Go on. No, like I mean, uh, I I'm I, gonna take the headphones off. I'm not even gonna listen because I've heard it about fifteen times. No, just I'm gonna, gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna keep it short and brief. The way that Emil Smith Rowe has a role in this team is if Mikel is able to integrate him. Simple. Because if we're talking about ways that Emil Smith-Rowe fits in this team, he fit, I'm tired about talking how well he can fit. I do really push back on this idea. If we all agree that accessing the middle of the pitch is something that Arsenal have struggled with this season, and then broadly, forget what you believe on Emil Smith-Rowe, but what is his profile? He's somebody that is able to turn quickly in half spaces, 
drive the tempo of a team and access the center. I think nobody can disagree with that assessment of Emile Smith-Rowe, no matter the quality. I really struggle to understand why a coach wouldn't want to employ that solution when your problem is accessing the center. That's the one thing I'll say. Now, it's the coach's prerogative. He could be seeing things that were not in training. I'm open to all of these suggestions, but just from the outside, if you are that insistent on freezing him out, having zero minutes, zero, in his last start since May 2022, I'm very confused why this summer you made such an adamant point that he's staying. Because that was communicated. With the same degree that people thought that he was leaving, there was the same fervent, no, Emil, you're not leaving. I believe in you. You're in my plans. Like, that's a very strong statement to have. And I just don't understand how you can kind of look past that conversation when you had the opportunity to cut ties. Like, if you weren't that concerned, surely at the start of the season when that was a topic, you would have that conversation, right? So that's the first thing for me. Again, this entire switching of the interior eights basically comes down to winger compliments, and I'm not going to go too much more into it than this. When you look at Martinelli as a left winger, he's a touchline winger. I believe that you need to have a passing profile eight that opens up the angles for him, not just on reverse passes, but passes to run into on the same foot, on the strong side that is able to finish far post. That, for me, is really important. And more so, it's the fact that when you've got too many runners in a particular zone, they overlap. When you've got too many instincts in a particular zone, they overlap and they cancel each other out. Not that they're bad players, not that they're not able to do it, but that they end up doing the same things and then you end up having a predictable pattern of play. And so when you're on the right, you're looking at Bakayo Saka as somebody who's more ball to feet, who is a little bit more patient, who is a little bit more creative on the ball. And you're looking at a midfield who ideally could supplement that by providing some of the off the ball runs that while Bakayo can do, he's not something that he loves doing. And so that brings your Emile Smith-Rose, your Kai Havertz, those type of players that are the space invaders opening as a potential complement on the right. And that's where that comes down into. So if you're asking, could Emile Smith-Rowe also play a role as the left central midfielder eight as a ball to feet player? Of course he could. I don't think it's where he's best, but of course he could. But again, you need to assume then that Mikel is totally happy with using him. And that's just something that for all my belief in Emilio Smith-Rowe, I can't ignore the fact that he hasn't been played. And it's frustrating. I think the next seven to eight game block is going to be telling. I don't know what you guys think, because I know, Alex, like you're somebody that isn't as high on him as I am. But are you not confused with like the messaging from the club at the very least? Like I could admit that yeah, maybe uh, yeah. Mikel is not a fan, but then why would you be so adamant to keep him? There's something going on that we don't know publicly. Yeah. I'm, almo I'm almost certain. For sure. Yeah, but there might not be. There's only been, I think the thing is as well, there's only been four games played. Like, as, as in, it's just as likely that there's nothing going on as that there is. As in, we have no more information on that. And I think if there was something going on behind the scenes that would have meant, that, that, that's been causing an issue that isn't, say, an injury or a, a, like a fitness problem, or maybe like, we don't talk about it a lot, but like a, a mental health problem, then I, I think... I, I struggle to see if it, if it wasn't something that's either an injury or like a mental health problem that's that's kind of meant that we're taking it easy with Emil and, and kind of getting him back into the fray, why he wasn't sold in the summer and why there has been such fervent information from the club that we are keeping him, we believe in him, he is in the plans. One thing I will say is like there is, there's been four games this season. Like 
I think it's too early to judge why no player is getting minutes when every single player that's been fit. Plus, we're trying to figure out a new system. And I think with the kind of mind that Mikel has, he's more likely to try and tinker with this plan, try and fix this plan and see if this plan works before then going, oh, okay, now let's introduce new cogs into the plan and let's see how it works. We saw that last season. We basically had a 1-11 to that played every single minute and that's why Emile Smith-Rowe couldn't get on the pitch last season. And now we look at this season, he's gone, okay, I've ripped it up. I've got a complete new idea. I want to fix this, figure this out, get this to work, and then we can start playing with the the extra weapons that I have, mm-hmm. you know, in, in the squad. I- I hear, I hear that, and and I think that's possible. I just, and, and to be clear, when I say there's something that we don't know, I'm not saying that's always a bad thing. That doesn't necessarily have to be they've fallen out or whatever. I'm just saying there's something we don't know. That's what I think. And 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 whether it's Mikel is training him, you know, there's always that like, oh, they're they're training Martinelli to be a centre forward. Like there's always something, but like maybe he's training to a new position or they're building up his fitness. I don't know what it is, but what I'm saying is I think there's something we don't know. It's possible that there isn't absolutely anything and it's just been four games and Mikel's tinkering and I hear that. But my opinion is that I'm pretty sure there is something we don't know because I just think in terms of the, the our, our problems on the pitch at the moment feel like they could... You could you could make two arguments. You could say, well, that's that's a really bad time for Millsmith Rogue when the centre's packed or whatever, which is... is probably slightly where I fall down but there is another side of the argument which I hear as well which is you want someone who can combine central you want someone who can create some space make those third man runs drift out wide get Saka inside so so I I I hear both sides I just think the fact that we have and also the fact that you know he hasn't started when do we find out he hasn't started a game since like that May Castle game yeah like that is crazy to me he had a big injury last season I appreciate that, and look, you know that he went had that surgery and all sorts of stuff, and you know you could you could definitely plot a path that says it's just been injury and fitness and bad luck or whatever. But I think when to some point when a player who you gave the number ten shirt to hasn't started for you since May twenty twenty two, I think we have to start asking different questions and saying what 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 is it because it can't just be the usual. Well, maybe it's a tactical thing. In my opinion, I think, I think now at some point is the there time might be something to ask we don't the question, know because we are tinkering. As in, I don't think we can look at last season and go, why wasn't he starting? Because who's he going to start over? A player that matched the non-penalty goal contributions from midfield, the stalwart of the team who was our leader on the pitch, or our left winger that got the joint most goals ever scored by a Brazilian in the Premier League? You know, I, I, like mm-hmm. those three positions, but- you, you, when, you, when he's coming back to fitness and he's then competing with those three players for the spots mm-hmm. that he'd be competing in, none of us would have swapped any of those players out to start for Emile Smith-Rowe, I don't think. No? But maybe they could have got minutes. It doesn't, you know. And, and he did and, get minutes. Again, he did get minutes. Not very many because yeah, he's coming back lo- to fitness. But he got in minutes. Season, yeah. This season, um, I, I there's been four instance, games. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, only time will tell. We'll either look back and say, "Oh, all the signs were there," or, "Well, it was always, you know, we'll it was be always right either come way." Good. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's what I'm saying. So it's it's hard to say. Uh, Brad, we have just. Oh, have we? Um, uh, just, uh, just about. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, so. mm, yeah. We've now we've got time. We've got time. Just got time for a little bit of Arsenal trivia. So, the question I asked you last week was: uh, uh, Arsenal recently had four players called up to the England men's national team. When was the last time that happened? So I think it was. I think it was more recent than we think. 
Do you? What do you think? I think, I think that I, for some reason, I have like early 2022 in my head. For Smith, like Smith Rowe, Ramsdale, Saka, and someone else. Who would it have been? And White. That's actually not a bad shout. I mean, that's because I, I remember them being called up, and that can't have been that long ago. I mean, before then, there would have been like what, like March two thousand five or something. <laughs> no, no, no. But what about the period with like Oxley Chamberlain, um, Kieran Gibbs, Jack Wilshire? Oh yeah. There must have been a period in like 2010, 2011. 2010s, yeah. Yeah. When did Ooh. they all sign that? What was was Gibbs in the England team? Was he? I swear he had a call up at some point. We've all had a call up at some point. <laughs> um, Darius Vassell had a call up. Okay. Um, my gut is that we, because Ben White, I thought like he's had an issue with the camp, right? Like I know Ramsdale's been always a part of the squad. Yeah, but that was the that was the Euros. No, that was the World maybe Cup. 2021. That was the World Cup. He got sent home. Oh, it was the, the World, World Cup. Cup. Sorry. Yeah. So I just don't know if they've all fallen at the same time. Okay, I'm going to go a little bit older. I'm going to go 2011. I'm going March 2022. I've got a feeling. One of you is correct. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> and it is Alex. March oh, 2022 yeah, with the exact four players you were talking about I'm pretty sure yeah I had yeah. a hold up to the squad just before um, you know that was I think that was Smith Rowe's only senior call up before injury wow. I feel like I might have seen that somewhere recently but I can't remember where Could like, Twitter sub, you know when like, sub- subconsciously maybe I can't remember Twitter but subconsciously good call <laughs> damn decent Decent. And next week? Next week, well, I didn't get a theme. I keep forgetting to ask for a theme. You so need to one ask. Of you, one of you quickly quickly think of a theme while I pull a question out of my ass. Um, um, how about... How many... How ma- wait, the question for next okay. week. How many current internationals do Arsenal have in their squad? How many players do they have in their squad that are current fully-fledged internationals players that have played at least three games for their country like cameos as well included yeah because there's no way i'm going to search every single arsenal player for three appearances how many of the current 25 have made three appearances for the national team okay and would you like a theme bradley please give me a theme that i can write down for next week (laughs) Uh, give me arsenal in the community Mm, that's sweet. Oh, what a nice guy. <laughs> Thinks about the community. Lovely. Uh, pleasure as always, gents. Always, darling. Can't wait for the footy to come back. Oh, my God. Bloody hell. This international break has felt so long. Yeah, it's been really shit. It's felt so long, especially because of Southgate ball. Ugh. Yeah, fucking hell. And all this stupid stuff. At- oh, F- Foden. Foden doesn't play in the centre of midfield for his club. And then the... He goes and starts Trippier at left back. And James Madison at left wing. So it's just, yeah, it's... Idiot. Idiot. Southgate, you're a prat. (laughs) Yes, you are a twat. Football's coming home again. (laughs) Pleasure as always, gents. Thanks for watching and listening to The Different Knock. Keep it Different Knock. And we will see you 
Later. Later. Bye. Peace. Let's say peace, George. Peace. <laughs>Thanks so much for listening to the Different Knock and Arsenal podcast. To get bonus podcasts and much more, you can sign up to be a TDK member at patreon.com forward slash divnock for just £3 a month. Check us out on YouTube and follow us on all social media at divnock. Thanks again for listening. Podcast Network.